Hey there, and welcome to the Refuge Podcast. We're a podcast of Crossroads Community Church here in Nampa, Idaho. And here at the church, we believe in being a place of refuge, transformation, and partnership with God. My name is Charlie, and I'm a pastor here at the church. And I am Scott, and I'm one of the partners here at Crossroads Church. And uh, today we're listening to the final message. Yes, the final message of our Evangelion series. I think this will be number 20. Mm-hmm. Um, we almost beat the record, which I think was 22. I think we heard a couple weeks ago. Um, but Pastor Jim is closing us out in the book of John, really looking at you know Jesus being the good news and everything he says being good news, even if it doesn't sound like good news to us. And he closed us with really unpacking what he calls a model prayer from Jesus in uh, John 17. It's John 17, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Thank you. <laughs> sure. I misquote, you know, <laughs> Bible. It's kind of a big deal. Yeah, that's true. <clears throat> but he really says, you know, first be lit in my life. Be in my honor to desire and glorify you. Be with those who matter to me. Protect them in the difficult times, not from them. Make them holy. Make them partners with you. Align them with other believers in a community and put your love in their hearts. And it's really just a cool prayer. And uh, what did that really create in you, Scott, as you were listening to this idea that that's a model prayer as we pray for those that we love? It shows me that uh, God's ultimate purpose for my life is not for my pleasure. It's not for my own fun. It's not for my own having a great time. It's not to keep me from all difficulties. It's God didn't create me to have this little pet in a box and say, huh, I wonder how comfortable and how happy I can make him. That's not God's ultimate plan for my life, and I don't think I'd want that to be God's ultimate plan for my life. That's not what I, I should uh, strive for. And so it was... <clears throat> When Jesus prays for me, for you, that, well, don't remove the difficulties, um, that just help them in the difficulties. It reminds me what I'm here for, and it's not for my own pleasure, right? It's not for my own having fun. It's for my spiritual growth and to become more like him. Yeah, like you said, it's, in a way, it's comforting, because if that's all that life was, if hedonism really was the the point that we just have as much pleasure and comfort as we can, then it gets quickly disappointing. But that's not what Christ has for us. Instead, he has a life outline for us where we we follow after him and mm-hmm. we run after him and we look more like him. And it's through the process of pain sometimes that we become more like him. But we get to hear more about that today from Pastor Jim, closing out our Uengelion series. today with you. If you're listening online, thank you for joining in. Uh, I told you last week, but in case you didn't hear, we have an average of 300 people a week listening in online from various places throughout the world, some uh, shut-ins that are right here locally. So uh, thank you for joining us online. And uh, you know, folks, if you're wondering what today is, this is between Black Friday and Cyber Monday. This is Good News Sunday, okay? <laughs> so, so and, and trust me, uh, this is the best deal you're going to get right here. Because we're going to open up the Word of God, and I tell you what, this is one of the most encouraging passages of Scripture. It is the time that Jesus prays for us. 
We're actually going to end today our series on Evangelion, which means good news or the gospel. And, and we're going to talk a little bit about that, but this is the perfect place to bring this to a close, okay? Why? Well, because it's the time that Jesus comes to the end of his life, and the last thing he does is pray for you and for me. Now, there are people in your life when they say they're praying for you, it means a lot to you, doesn't it? Because you know that they actually will. And there's something about that. When they pray for you, you think, you know what, I think I'm going to be okay. Because you trust them and their prayer life. Okay, do you think there's anybody who has a better prayer life than Jesus? He's praying for you. Hmm. But you know, there's a part of this passage that just leaps off the page at me. When he talks about how excited he is to show us what he knew before he ever walked on this earth. Now, I love going to Israel. I love taking groups to Israel. That's one of my favorite things to do. Some of you um, uh, don't want to go. That's fine. Some of you would like to, and maybe you're saving up, and someday you're going to go. Great. We're going to probably keep doing it. Some of you would rather just vicariously live through me in my pictures and go, that's enough, okay? <laughs> but some of you have decided this is the year or next year is the year, and you're going to do it. I have to be honest with you. I try to be careful. Dory reminds me, be careful, because not everybody can go that wants to go. And I, I wish I could just take everybody. I really do. Because one of the most exciting things for me is to take people and see the look on their faces when they stand in those places that they always just imagined. It's like nothing else. I love it. It's like a parent who can't wait for Christmas morning, not because of the gifts that you're going to get, but because of the gifts that you're about to give. You can't wait to see the look on that child's face, right? I remember taking our kids to Disneyland for the first time. I remember coming down the Golden State Freeway, Highway 5, okay? I remember this point in the journey because at the next exit was Disneyland. And I would say to my kids, who will be the first one to spot the Matterhorn? Now, you got to understand, when I was a kid, there was only orange groves in Disneyland. Now there's so many buildings, it's hard to spot the Matterhorn. But the kids in the back seat are like, oh, oh, I think I see it. No, no, not yet. I, oh, oh, they're competing back and forth, right? And they're getting so excited just to see the tip of this little thing called the Matterhorn. They haven't even been inside the park yet. But you know what that's like as a parent to see your child experience the greatest place on earth for the first time. Their eyes are wide open. Where do I get that from? My parents. I can remember being in the back of a 64 Chevy between two screaming sisters competing to see who would see the Matterhorn first. Ah, yes. I think I see it. And we were already so excited, we hadn't even been inside yet. But who was having the most fun? Mom and dad. 
Why? Because there's something about getting to show the people you love the most the most amazing thing. It will blow their mind, and you just can't wait. And in the prayer of Jesus, there's a moment in here where he just stops in the middle and goes, Oi! I can't wait to show them what I knew with you, God, before the world ever began. You see, we've been talking about the good news. And the good news is not a message that we can debate or dismiss. The good news is a person, and his name is Jesus. Jesus is God's message to the world. Therefore, everything he says is good news. So though we close out this series, I hope and pray that you will take what you've learned from this series and apply it to everything you read from here on out. That means every time that Jesus shows up, it's good news. Whether people receive it or not as good news, that's up to the people. But Jesus is the good news. We've discovered that he's the good news, and now, just before he lays down his life, when he brings it right down and boils it right down, what does he do? He goes to the Father in prayer. And you see, the prayer of Jesus in John 17 is not just a prayer for himself as he faces a difficult moment, but he prays for his disciples and all those who will believe through their message. That's us. And Jesus continues to pray for us. When I tell you I'm praying for you, that might make you feel good. But can I tell you some, something right now? The person who walked this earth, who has the best prayer life ever, his name is Jesus. And he is praying for you. You say, well, yeah, that was 2,000 years ago. No, actually, Romans 8, Paul said to the church at Rome, what should we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? Maybe we need to stop there, right there. Maybe somebody needs to just let that one sink in. Maybe that's for you today. If God be for us, who can be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. That means we are made righteous through Christ, not because of our own righteousness, but because of his righteousness placed upon us. We stand before the throne under the blood of Christ. It's he who saves us, not ourselves. We don't get to heaven by being good, <laughs> because if that's the case, we ain't going to heaven. The reason we're going to be in the place that he created the place that he is, is because God gave us right standing through Christ. See? Who then will condemn us? No one. He is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading or praying for us. That means right now, your name is on the lips of Jesus. He's praying for you. Right now. He didn't just pray 2,000 years ago for you. He's praying for you right 
now. And his prayer is where we're going to close this series. To let it linger and the, the memory that the good news is the person of Jesus Christ. So whatever he says is good news. So we're going to read this prayer, John 17, the whole chapter. If you want to listen and just let it absorb, that's fine. If you want to read it, open your Bibles to John 17. If you don't know where John 17 is and you don't have a Bible, you do now because there are free Bibles in the racks in front of you. You can open it up there. If you don't know where that is, don't worry about it. Somebody will help you. John 17, you can underline anything that pops out to you that you think God might be speaking to you about. If you're, and if you're listening online, we'll put it up on the screen. So, so this is the prayer of Jesus for us as he comes to the end of his earthly life right before his crucifixion. And after saying all of these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father... Bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me and they've kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you. For I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it and know that I came from you and they believe you sent me. My prayer is not for the world. Whoa, stop. Does that mean Jesus doesn't care about the world? No. John, who wrote these words, is the same John who wrote John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God loves the world. But Jesus specifically here is not praying for the world. He's praying for those who are his followers. That's you. That's me. Because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, Father, and you have given them to me so they bring me glory. Now, I am departing from the world. They're staying in this world, but I am coming to you. Holy Father, you've given me your name. Now, protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of your name that you gave me. I guarded them so that no one was lost except the one headed for destruction, as the scripture foretold. That's Judas that he's referring to there. But now I'm coming to you, Father. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so that they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word. Jesus is the living word of God, but he gave them the very word of God to us. That's what we call the Bible. And what does he say about the word? And the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking that you take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Here's that word. 
Teach them your word, which is truth. You see, Jesus recognized what we call the Old Testament or the Tanakh in the Hebrew as the Bible, the word of God. Jesus is saying right here, your word is true. And the words that you've given me is true. What we now have is the New Testament, the Gospels. What Jesus is saying here is the word of God is true. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy by what? Your truth. And your truth comes from the word. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for those who will ever believe in me through their message. That's us. I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them, you're in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. I can't wait to show them. They can see all the glory you gave me because you love me even before the world began. I can't wait. I want them to see this. Oh, righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them and I will be in them. That is the most beautiful prayer that I've ever read. Um, I'm a... Um, I like to paint, okay? One of the things I've learned is when I'm deciding on what I'm going to paint and I look at the, the scenery, I will step back and squint. When you squint, you don't see all the details. But what you do see is colors, light, and shapes. When I see those shapes and I see the colors and then how the light plays off those shapes and colors, I open my eyes and see the details. I try to paint that way. I step back and squint. I paint the basic shapes, the basic colors, the, ba the way the light plays. And then I open my eyes and I begin to bring in the details. Interestingly, I don't just paint that way. I read the Bible that way. Sometimes I look at something like this and it's, there's so much there, I just step back and squint. I step back and squint and I think, what are the shapes here? What, what are the main things? And what I discovered in doing this is that this is not only one of the most beautiful prayers that Jesus prayed, it is a model prayer for us praying for those we love. Look at what Jesus literally says in one slide here. He says this, he says, be first in my life and honor my desire to glorify you. That's the first thing he prays. The second thing he says, be with those who matter most to me. Who would be on that list for you? Your family, your friends, your neighbors. Be with them. Protect them in the difficult times, not from them. Oh, that's powerful. 
sometimes we love somebody so much that we, we, we want them to be protected from the situations of life. Jesus doesn't actually pray that for us. He actually prays that we would be protected in the situations, not from them. Make them holy. Set them apart for your purposes. Make them partners with you, God, to bring others to you. Align them with other believers in a community that both encourages and challenges them. Put your love in their hearts so that they love like you love. If I prayed that over my family and friends every day, that would be a powerful prayer. And that's exactly what Jesus prays for us. The first thing we notice, though, is he, he says, Lord, glorify your name in all of this, and pr- please bring glory to me as I carry out the plan. That word glory in the Greek is doxa. If you're writing that down, it's D-O-X-A. Doxa. Doxa is, is an interesting word. It, 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 it means greatness. It means to make great. It means to raise up. And one of my favorite definitions of glory is to point to. Now you see some amazing football player make a touchdown. He's trying to say, you know, all the glory goes to God. The Bible says that God shares his glory with no one. In other words, it's not a good idea to try and take his glory. Don't, don't say that you did something that you know full well that God did it. <laughs> uh, that means everything I have is from him. Every good and perfect gift is from the Father above. That's what Scripture says. That means that everything that I enjoy in my life is from him. It's a gift. Not just the stuff and the things and the people, but even the ability to do the things I do. Everything is from him. Therefore, I, I might be able to say thank you when, when something that I do touches your heart, but ultimately the glory goes to God. It means to point too. But we all know people who constantly point back. And what Jesus is saying in this prayer, Lord, is may, Father, you be glorified. But, Lord, would you glorify me as I carry out this plan? And would, would you point to me? Would, would people see that in the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ, this is the Father's plan for salvation? Would you, would you make that clear to everyone? See, He said, here, I've finished the work. That's an amazing thing to say. Have you ever laid your head down on your pillow at night and wondered if you finished the work? If you like me, or like me at all, you, you might instead think, hmm, there's so much more to do. What would it be like to actually say, okay, I'm done. Ding, ding, I'm out. I did it. I finished the work. What in the world is the work? The work is the plan that the Father had to bring you and me into relationship with him. And he came and walked among us in flesh. His name is Jesus Christ. 
That's why John, who wrote these words, is also the one who begins his book by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and then the 14th verse, chapter 1 says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That means God in a bod among us. (laughs) And the plan was that he would take our place and die on a cross so that we could be forgiven of sins and be restored into relationship, right relationship. The scripture that we've already read, he made us right through Christ. That's the plan. It's done. What he also is saying here is that Jesus believed that the Father was sovereign, which means God's in charge. (laughs) There are people today who don't like that idea that God is in charge, that God has a plan. Um, In fact, some say that God's sovereignty makes prayer unnecessary. I mean, why bother, right? God's sovereign plan, um, you know, God's going to do what God's going to do. But what we notice here in the scripture is that God's sovereignty actually induces prayer in Jesus. It doesn't drive him away from prayer. Some people say, why bother praying? God's going to do what God's going to do. Jesus knew God had a plan. And he said right here, I've completed the plan. But Jesus constantly prayed. Why would you pray to God when, well, the plan is the plan? It's where Jesus found strength. It's where he found courage. And it's where you and I find not only strength and courage, but understanding. When we say, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. I'm I'm not real apologetic about sharing my will with the Father. He probably gets a little tired hearing it. But I share it knowing that I'm going to say at the end, but not my will, your will be done. But just in case you didn't know what my will was, let me just share that with you, Lord. Right? But what I really want is for your will to be done in my life and through my life because I know that that's the best. Now, although I think I know what's best, there have been too many times in my life when I realized that my best thoughts were not great. And some of them were kind of dumb. So I've learned to trust. You see, the sovereignty of God drove Jesus to prayer. It says something to us. Now, that means God's in charge. This plan is a plan for us. He is for us. But he wants me engaged and in partnership with him. That's exactly what Jesus is modeling here. You may have walked into this room today thinking, God couldn't be for me. There's been too much stuff in my life that would tell me otherwise. And I might say to you, okay, but you're here, aren't you? Let's not think about those right now who who, who aren't here. Let's just think about us right here in this moment. Those times when you thought God didn't care or that God had forgotten or that God was looking the other way or God didn't notice you and you went through things that may still be unspeakable to you. As a pastor, I hear some things sometimes and I, I can't imagine how people can still be walking. 
And yet as you look back on those times where there was a lack and someone who should have protected you, somehow God brought someone else and got you through to the next step. You faced another struggle and somehow God saw you. He brought someone or something and it carried you to the next step. And you survived. And over time you see how God's hand was in your life though heartbroken over the things that you were facing. He saw you. He saw you. And you're here today because he saw you. And he still sees you. And in all of this, Jesus prays for us knowing that we're going to face difficult times. But you see, when we understand that God is for us and that we're here today because he saw us and he sustained us and he enabled us, we begin to take our eyes off of us and begin to see what he's called us to do. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. I've completed the plan. Now, Lord, be glorified, not only in this, but be but glorify me so that people will see what's going on. You see, Jesus is saying, Lord, my life has pointed to you. I want them, those who follow me, to point to us. And, and I, I, I look at question, I look at that, and I begin to wonder, does my life point to Jesus? When, when people talk about me or talk to me, or see, do they see someone who takes his glory? or someone who gives God glory? Is my finger always pointing up? That's the stance of Jesus, though he faces in moments death on a cross. He prays for us, and what does he pray? He prays that we would be protected in the midst of the hatred that will come our way. We talked about this in the 15th chapter, uh, uh, the latter part of the 15th chapter last week. That there are those who hate us simply because we have him in us. They don't literally hate us. They hate him. And so, well, we represent him. So they hate us. We know that the enemy of our soul, Satan, that Jesus refers to, is the one who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Why? Hatred. And all those who submit to his rule hate and they're going to hate those who represent Christ. And Jesus says they're, they're surrounded by this. But, but Father, I don't pray that you deliver them out of the situation. I pray that you deliver them in the situation. How, how, many, how many people know how hard that is to have that attitude as a parent? Now, if you're not a parent, I'm, uh, there's probably s some way that you can understand this. Because those who mean the most to you, you don't want them to have to experience unnecessary pain. And when they're going through it, your greatest desire is that they would be delivered out of it, right? I mean, when your kid's learning how to ride a bike, you know, there's a point 
in that process where they learn it, but they're not quite good enough, and yet they think they are. And they start going faster than they really ought to be going. And you think, hmm, this is not going to end well. <laughs> and the part of you that probably is like me, when it first happened, you would run out next to the bike and try and keep up with it and hold on to it and slow it down. But the next time you weren't there, and you go, oof, that's going to leave a mark. And you rush over, and you brush them off, you bandage them up, and you think, maybe if I could just bubble wrap them. <laughs> and protect them from all the people who won't like them. And protect them from all the bosses who won't see their potential. And those teachers who just don't understand their learning style. And et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you know as well as I do that if you really love them, you're going to let them experience life as hard as it is for you to watch. And there will be times when you will do just like Jesus. Ooh, that's going to leave a mark. And Jesus doesn't pray that we would be delivered out of the situations of life but rather that we would be delivered in them. Meaning that we would be strengthened, that we would be encouraged, that we would grow stronger in our faith as a result of the struggle, not deliverance from the struggle. Huh. Oh, I, I wish that was a different thing. I wish knowing Jesus meant we'd be free from trouble, but that's not the case but he prays for us in the midst of us. And he asks the Father in the midst of that to make us holy. Isn't that interesting? Lord, I do not pray that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one while they're living in this world. Now, Lord, make them holy. What does that word mean? The word is hagiosmos in the Greek here. It means to have the character of God, to be set apart and to uh, and to uh, cleanse as an instrument for God's purpose. The interesting thing is that the cleansing of holy things in the Bible usually uh, included fire in the process. Now, how many of you have lived through the fires of life, right? You, you see Isaiah 43, when you pass through the fire, you will not be burned. You're thinking, got that, done that, been there, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought I was a goner, but I made it. It is the fires, it is the struggle, it is the difficulties that if we let them teach us, actually sanctify us. There may be a moment where we say, Lord, be, I want to be holy, I want to be set apart for your purposes, but it doesn't happen and stay in that moment. There is no one in the Bible who ever experienced instantaneous character change. Everybody in the Bible went through a process of being made like him, which, guess what, means we will too. We are not yet what we will be, but we are not what we were. Why? Because he's committed to us. He is for us. It is he who is at work within us to will and to act according to his good purposes. What he began in us, he will carry it on into completion until the day of Christ Jesus, Philippians tells us. So we're in this process, and Jesus says, would you make in the, use the process to make him holy? And remember, 
We talked about this last week from chapter 15, that our obedience to God flows out of the joy of knowing our identity as sons and daughters of the Father. Not, not trying to please God, not trying to earn anything, but obedience happens as we know who we are in him. See, when Jesus asks the Father to make us holy, he is asking that we be set apart to serve and bring glory to God. Lord, use their lives to point to you. That's his prayer. His prayer is that you would point to God. His prayer is that I would point to God. That all of the stuff of life that makes me who I am, all of the stuff that makes you who you are, that means the good, the bad, the ugly. He uses it to strengthen you, to sanctify you, so that your life will point to God. Because others need what you have to share. Hmm. You see, this is not a have to, it's a get to. <laughs> and Jesus prays for us. And he prays for all those who will believe through our message. Twice he says in this prayer that the world will know. Why? Because he cares about the world. The, world, the word world here is cosmos, which means two things. It means those who know about Jesus and are set against him, and those who have not yet heard about him, but will, but will receive him when they do. So in other words, there's, there is resistance and there is ignorance. That's what's combined here in the phrase the world. So when Jesus says that the world will know, he cares about the world. And how will the world know that Jesus is who he says he is? through you and I doing exactly what he's praying for here and unity happening among us. Unity. See, unity, though, is not uniformity. This, to be a part of a follower of Jesus doesn't mean we all walk alike, talk alike, you know, all that stuff alike. No, no. Actually, diverse, uh, the Father instituted diversity in Genesis when he sent us out into the world to be fruitful and multiply in other words, go out. He also stopped our attempt at uniformity at Babel, the Tower of Babel, by creating many languages. He purposely said, no, I told you to go, now go. And he did, right? And then Jesus told us in Matthew 28 to go out into every nation, which the word is ethne, every ethnicity. What to do what? To, to, to share the things that he shared with us. And then the Holy Spirit affirmed this uh, at, at Pentecost by pouring out his presence, enabling the gospel to be heard in every language. It seems that God designed diversity, but we can be unified by our faith and trust in God. God is very creative. I have sat with brothers and sisters in various places throughout the world, and I have worshiped with people that I did not understand language-wise. But there was something about the unity that came through faith in Christ. We knew we were brothers and sisters. And we also knew that someday we're going to understand each other. But in the meantime, we understood what was most important, and that was this. God is for us. And he has loved us, and he prays for us that we would grow, that we would be made holy, and that our message would be taken to others who need to hear it. The world that he mentions twice. So 
Some people say, well, I, I don't know who I'm supposed to love. <laughs> Tell you what, love everybody, let him sort it out. Is that bad? Well, but what, what if I, if I don't agree with something? Listen, we can't determine who knows Jesus, who doesn't know Jesus, where they're going. Just love everybody. Because you have and I have the greatest message anybody could ever hear, and that is this, that God loves us, he forgives us, he restores us, and he calls us his own. You have that message. Love everybody. Let him sort it out. Don't worry about it. Just love everybody. That's what he says here. Would they love, Lord, like you've loved me? Yeah. And then he gets into this whole thing, um, make them one, you know. And then he says, Father, I just can't wait to show them what I knew before the world began. We talk all the time about people wanting to go to heaven. Has, has, has it ever occurred to you that Jesus actually wants us to be in heaven? That he can't wait to show us what only he can understand? That we might now get excited about seeing the Matterhorn from the freeway. We have no idea what's going to happen once those gates open. And he can't wait. He's going to be like, Come on in. Almost like Black Friday sales. I mean, he's going to be so excited. Right? He can't wait. And notice this. He says, I can't wait to show them the things that I experienced before the world began. He's going to show us what existence looked like before existence existed. Wow. Did you get that? Please explain it to me later, would you? And which was taking us into our, our Christmas series, Beth, on Once Upon a Time. We're talking about time and how God in his perfect time brought about this wonderful message of Jesus. Next week, Dr. Tim Anstein, as a scientist, is going to explain what I just said. I can't wait to hear the sermon <laughs> because I don't know what I just said. But Jesus can't wait to show us what time looked like before time began. I can't wait. It's like Disneyland. And we're just on the freeway going, oh, oh, I think I see it. We have no idea. So what do we do with all this? The bottom line of all of this is Jesus is praying for you right now. He didn't just pray for you 2,000 years ago. The scripture we already read this morning tells us right now he is interceding on your behalf. He's for you. And if he is for you, who? Pray tell, could be against you. <laughs> in the meantime, he protects us in the circumstances, not from the circumstances. Don't be tempted to think that when you're going through a rough time that God has somehow forgotten you. No, he hasn't. He's praying for you and he's strengthening you and he will get you through this. He'll set you apart for his purposes so that others will believe in him through your message. So let's love like he loved. Let's be aware that not everyone will like us when we do that, but some will receive us as if we have the very words of life. 
and know that his love gives you your identity as sons and daughters of the king. And it's out of that joy and knowing that that we live this life he's called us to. An amazing message. I, you know, I think Jim's pretty good at this preaching thing. I think he's really. I think so. I think he's coming to it pretty good. <laughs> no, his his expertise that he brings, and not only the the knowledge that he brings from really some, you know, schooling and and just being a student of the word, but mm-hmm. uh, really he has some special insights as an artist, and I love that idea that he had of stepping back and squinting, and mm-hmm. seeing scripture in the bigger the bigger parts of scripture, not just you know going a verse at a time. You know, sometimes we do that right, and it's good because there's so much in every verse, right, that we would go a verse at a time, but but also seeing the larger picture of scripture. And through this prayer, we really see, and Jim said this great, right? That he's not praying us out of the hard times, but through the hard times. And that, you know, Jim said it this way, that there's no biblical character who ever developed this, um, this character like God instantaneously. There's no person in the Bible that just instantaneously became the person God meant them to be. And so as he, as he dove into that, you know, what did that make you think, Scott? Oh, I love that message. Because well, I am I where I truly want to be, my character? <laughs> of course not, uh, by no means. Uh, but it helps me to realize that the, the giants of the faith, um, well, it took them time too. And doesn't that give you hope? I mean, that gives me hope to think, wow, you know what? Maybe I'm not so bad off. Uh, I'm, I'm in the boat with everybody else. And so, yeah, it, it's very encouraging to know that even the giants have to to go through the, the trials um, in order to have their um, character develop. I thought it was cool. And, you know, we were talking about this before that uh, Jesus really, I think, you know, he, Jim said he identifies as a parent. You know, that sometimes you want, you watch your kid and you wish your kid could experience and learn without the pain. But even as earthly parents, and right, what does scripture say that, you know, compared to us, right, you know, if we can give good things to our kids, how much more does God have good things for us? And we learn as parents that sometimes you need to let your kid experience disappointment. Sometimes you need to let them experience pain to grow. And in fact, without pain, we cannot grow. You know, there's a great quote, um, you know, that says, you know, you suffer pain one way or the other, but it's either the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. Mm. And I think that's so true that either we learn through discipline you know, how to maybe eat healthy by, by not, in, in, you know, putting off that, that unhealthy meal, because we know that in the long term we need to learn how to have the discipline of eating healthy or, mm-hmm. or exercise, right? No one likes the pain of, of really, you know, working out, <clears throat> but you're either going right. to experience that or the pain of I'm not doing that, you know? And I think through life, we really learn that there's that balance and that even God looks down and has to watch us go through things that in the moment we're going, God, why are you doing this? And I don't think we mean that in a trite way. It's the worst things in life we don't understand, but we trust that, that God has a plan. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty cool. I think he laid that really well. You know, one of the things that he dove into is this idea of God's glory. And one of the words in the scriptures that we use for glory is this word doxa. And, you know, he said there's a couple different things that it means. It can mean, you know, lifting up, but it also means pointing to. I thought that was really cool. What did you think as he really dove into this idea of doxa or glory? <clears throat> Well, 
my mind always t- takes things fairly philosophical because that's kind of the way my mind works. So I think of God uh, as the, the perfect being. And, well, the perfect being would deserve glory. It would just only be natural for the, the perfect being uh, to deserve glory, to deserve all majesty. Um, and so it totally makes sense to me. I mean, I know that there's some um, people out there who may struggle with this. Think, well, God, some egotistical uh, guy who wants all the glory for himself. And well, in essence, uh, yes, he wants the glory because he deserves the glory. He is the perfect being. I'm not the perfect being. You're not the perfect. Nobody is the perfect being except for God. And so uh, God deserves the glory just as, um, you know, a, a father, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be respected by your family. There, there's nothing wrong with that. To, to be respected by your family. Uh, and so, be, and if you deserve that respect, um, then it's only proper. And the same thing is true with God. God, as the perfect being, would deserve all glory if he is the perfect being. And therefore, it's only proper for God to get that. Not for me. For you. Right? No, I agree. And I think sometimes we, because God is so... You know, we use all these metaphors and things to understand him as a man, that he's like a father, that he's mm-hmm. like a this, that he's like a, a good master or a good king. And yet we must remember that God's not a man, you know, and, right. and that, yeah. like you're saying, that, that God is different. He is separate. He is above. And so even more so, I think when, when he doesn't receive glory, when that is out of whack, uh, then the world and even inwardly, when we don't put God in the place that he belongs, bad things happen. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that as a threat. I mean, that is, that's just the, the law of God that, that when he is not put in his rightful place of glory, that it, things are out of whack. Mm-hmm. It's like gravity is off. It's like the center of the earth, the axis is wrong because that is just where he belongs is on the throne. And I love that where he said, you know, mm-hmm. you, we cannot take his glory from him. Mm-hmm. That even when we act like we are the bee's knees and that we're the one who deserves all the glory, that that doesn't mean that God receives less glory. That just means that we're out of whack. We look like buffoons. (laughs) We look like buffoons. Right. And, and it is, I do think we can get this idea of, you know, God being like Muhammad Ali, you know, prancing around the (laughs) ring saying, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest and really showing off. But when he seeks his own glory, I I don't think that's what it is. No, I think he sees that in him, there is all life and goodness and beauty. And for him to receive the glory is not only right. It is the only thing that makes life good and worth living. You know, that if, that if we put him out of his rightful place, then what we're doing is we're just moving ourselves further away from Eden and, and what he meant us to be. And he doesn't want to see that happen. And so, yeah, no, I'm with you. I think we need to re-understand uh, glory and what it means for God to seek his own glory. And if we do have our own scattered mind, I mean, put, put it, giving God all the glory helps us out too uh, because it doesn't give us a false uh, sense of our own worth. Uh, it gives us a proper sense of our own worth. Right. And so how does that help us in the log run? Well, by recognizing reality the way it is. And 
did I bring the universe into existence? Did I bring even my right. kids? What's that quote from Job where he says, you know, gird up your loins and listen to me? Yeah. Is it you who set the foundations of the earth? And uh-huh. No, it's true. I think that's what humility is, is it's not thinking, oh, I'm a terrible piece of garbage. I don't mean anything. That's not humility. Amen, yeah. Humility is thinking of yourself rightly. And mm-hmm. where you should think of yourself rightly is that God is far above. He is different. Mm-hmm. And yet he created me on purpose. I am an heir in his kingdom. I have, have value because this other being has looked down and said that I do have value. So mm. humility and thinking of ourselves rightly and glorifying God doesn't mean that we are worms in the dirt. In fact, when we glorify God, it's only then that we can see how valuable we truly are. And yeah. Christ came and died for us. No, I think it was great. Jim touched a little bit on his theme from last week, which was really tying this obedience to identity that we obey out of knowing who we are, not out of some legalistic trying to please God, trying to earn, but we really need to obey out of our identity. And I thought that was such a cool idea as we realized that we get to use our lives to glorify God. You know, what, what, what came through your mind as you were listening to that this morning? Well, what a great way uh, to finish, I mean, the series on good news is I have the privilege of being a part of the reality of the perfect being, God, the perfect in love, perfect in power, perfect in goodness. And I get to be a part of that. And I, I didn't do anything to deserve that, but I get to. And thinking, wow, what a way to finish Evangelion, the whole series. And I get to be a part of that good news. I mean, that good news is going to happen whether I'm a part of it or not. I might as well be part of it, you know? And so I'm, I'm so excited that, does it always mean it's going to be easy? I mean, is, is obedience, of course, obedience is not always easy. Um, but um, if I truly put the facts in charge of my feelings, which will make my life a whole lot better if I do that, um, then obedience becomes easier and I change into the, the likeness of Christ and then it becomes even easier the longer I do it and voila, I'm a part of the good news. No, it was awesome. And one of the things that we believe here at Crossroads is that we do get to use our own lives to glorify God and that we get to do this together. That mm. church is not meant to be something that we do, you know, alone or trying to show off to other people. But we get to work together and we get to work together, not only with each other, but with God to grow his kingdom and to invite more people in. And that he, he says he will come and he will set the, the captives free, that he will heal the broken. And we get to join him in that mission and we get to join him in obedience, doing what he told us to do, but not by ourselves with him and with a community of believers that are also trying to do that. So if you are broken, if you are in need of, of care and if you are in need of being set free, We are available to you and we are ready to show you that that Christ loves you and we want you to join us. You know, Jim said this and it's a great way to say it, that you have so much to give as well. Mm. You have so much to share. You know, we here at Crossroads, we don't even know you yet, but we need what you have, the specific giftings that God has given you. Mm. We need. And this is the way that we get to share. Scott and I get to get together and and talk and and discuss the message and, and that's how we get to share with this body and you have a a place here among us. So thank you for listening here this week at the refuge and we look forward to talking to you next week.